on the count of three. One, two. Hi, I'm Ramnik Johal. And I'm Carol Eugene Park. This is Decomplicated. Carol, happy Friday. Happy Friday! How you feeling? Oh, it is TGIF. I am ready. We are going to ex- enjoy this hot weekend uh, before us with some coolers and rosé, and it's going to be a fantastic time. How are you feeling about Friday? I'm good. Before we even get into the, the weekend and the rosé, I feel <laughs> like we need to look back at what happened this week with a fun... Friday episode of Decomplicated featuring some WTF stories that had us doing some double takes and that may have flown under the radar this week. So today, Carol, before we kick off for the weekend, let's talk about the stories that made us say WTF, what the fork. So hit me. What's the first WTF for today's episode? (laughs) Well, Romnik, we love good news uh, here. And the first WTF, I'm calling it Canada First Vax Dose. And that makes zero sense without the context, but Canada has pushed past the UK and Israel to have the world's highest proportion of the population partially vaxxed against COVID. So as of Tuesday, um, 74% of eligible Canadians have received at least one dose of a COVID vaccine, which is great news. Canada's vax pace has picked up since April, and as of today, has administered 375,000 thousand doses per day, which is about 1% of the population. And so this makes Canada the country with the highest pace in the G7. And this is important without showing any signs of slowing down. Why is this good news, people? Well, if we do a throwback, despite it not being Thursday, Canada had not been doing so hot in the beginning of the vaccine rollout to the point where, you know, people were like, wow, Americans are doing swell. And here we are as Canadians, embarrassed by how slow and how mess of a mess of a scheduling everything was. But folks, we have outbeat the Americans, which is always a win in my books. And one of the reasons why we've been uh, successful with this pacing is because it's been focused on getting people their first dose and delaying the second dose. You know, our approach has been more science based, and le- and there's been less vaccine hesitancy. And so it's it's been great. So we're really excited about that. That is our first What the Fork. Yay, good news. I love to hear it. I love to see it. And I want to keep the vaccine train rolling. And I know we're all sick of talking about COVID and vaccines, but we have to unpack this WTF from none other than Alberta. We talk about Alberta a lot on this podcast, but there is many a reasons. <laughs> Yeehaw, indeed. So Alberta is incentivizing citizens to get vaccinated with a vaccine lottery, which to me is the most Alberta thing they could possibly do. And so how it works is all Alberta residents 18 and older who have at least one dose of an approved COVID vaccine can enter to win, wait for it, one of three one million dollar prizes. One million dollars. 
for getting vaccinated. Okay, so in July, if you have one dose, you can enter for the $1 million prize. In August and September, if you have two doses, you can enter for those respective $1 million prizes each month. And in addition to that, if that wasn't enough, okay, if you already weren't incentivized by that, I don't know what is wrong with you because you should have been incentivized by the fact that there is a deadly virus that is killing people. I don't know. But in case you needed money, there you go. But then they also added 40 travel-related prizes, including vacation packages donated by WestJet and Air Canada that include all-inclusive resort stays in parts of Canada and abroad, including an all-inclusive trip to Cancun, travel for two anywhere that WestJet and Air Canada travels to, and vouchers for travel within Canada. So meanwhile, while we are getting vaccination lotteries here in Alberta, we, I mean they, there is a massive global vaccine inequity. And In May, more than 75% of all vaccines had been administered in just 10 countries globally. And so there is a huge disparity across the globe in terms of people who want and desperately need to get vaccinated are unable to do so. Meanwhile, we have to convince people with millions of dollars. Like I said earlier, I feel like the fact that there is a virus going around and getting vaccinated is the way to protect yourself and others That should be enough of an incentive, in my opinion. But sure, enjoy your trip to Cancun. I'm obviously jealous that we don't have this in BC, but I also think it's stupid and ridiculous that we need to convince people to get vaccinated when literally people are losing their lives to this virus. So WTF Alberta, I mean, I guess if it works for you, go for it. I hope this does incentivize more people who are vaccine hesitant. But I feel like, again, there are people around the globe who would do anything for a vaccine and you have to be convinced with a trip to Mexico. So I don't like it. Back to you, Carol. Well, we are over the vaccine topics and we're moving on to the problematic nature of Korean rappers, hip hop artists, that realm. So in the past week, I'm sure if you are on Twitter, you probably saw that Jay Park uh, has been trending and you're probably like, who's Jay Park? So he debuted as a K-pop artist uh, back in the day. He left and then he kind of rebranded himself and became and entered the kind of K-hip-hop industry in Korea. And his music, you know, it's always been very, uh, what's the word? It's, It's always appropriated black aesthetics and culture, but the man produced a remix of Kendrick Lamar's DNA recently, and this is probably like the the tipping point for how problematic he is. So if you've watched the video, it's essentially Jay Park and a few of his uh, artists, uh, friend artists who collabed on this music uh, video song, and they're fully in dreads, like their hair, like wearing dreadlocks. One guy who is Korean, fully has an afro. Um, Their clothing mimics that of black rappers as well as their mannerisms in America. And that just the aesthetic part is a problem. However, DNA, the song, if you've listened to it, um, you know that it's about being black in America, the struggles of systemic racism that oppresses oppresses black people. And one of the lyrics that uh, Lamar sings or, or raps is, my DNA, not for my imitation. Ironically, of course, Jay Park has remixed it 
changed the lyrics and has created this whole song into a, this is my DNA, I'm Korean, and this is, you know, who I am, and blah, 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 completely bypassing the purpose of Lamar's whole point in this song. And I was watching this YouTuber who reacts to a lot of K-pop music videos, and he said something where I was like, this is there's no cap in this. And he said, if he's saying in my DNA, why isn't he wearing Korean traditional clothing? Which is true. Like, why is he wearing, you know, clothes that aren't Korean if he's talking about, you know, this is my culture, this, these are my people, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, all, all the facts. And there's a lot of kind of gang aesthetics and uh, mannerisms throughout the music video. And they have all these like signs. And, and this, the YouTuber, Desi March, he also commented, you know, what are they, like, what are they throwing back on? Like, what are they throwing up? Because they think this aesthetic is cool and they think, you know, gang violence and, and gang behaviors are cool. But for a lot of people in, in different parts of America, but also just anywhere there's a lot of gang violence, people are literally dying. And somehow we've glorified and romanticized this in this music video. A whole lot of nonsense. Anyway, so Jay Park has yet again shown us that he truly does not care about black lives that blackness is a prop um, and also hip-hop and like hip-hop is not like an aesthetic like there's no aesthetic to hip-hop but for some reason he thinks that to be a hip-hop rapper to be a hip-hop artist you have to appropriate black culture the dreads the afro the av th those are not exclusive that those are not equivalent to hip-hop as a genre and yet here we are profiting off of them and so black k-pop stands have been very offended for for good reason and he's been called out and criticized i don't know man like for a good for a guy who's american who grew up in seattle who i'm sure is not super ignorant to to black experiences it's just really funny that he is not getting it because he wants to be so black and yet not actually accept that a he will never be black and to be black is not just a trend or a, fa or a fad, you know? So, I don't know. Problems. Problems. And this just goes to show that just because you're racialized doesn't mean that you can't appropriate and that, that you can't be a part of white supremacy. That's it for me. WTF. The next one that we have is throwing it back to another man who gets a lot of airtime on this podcast, Mr. Maxime Bernier. I mean, we covered Alberta. I didn't mention Kenny's name, so I may as well toss it in there. But we give him a lot of WTF moments and we also give Bernier a lot of WTF moments because that's just what they do. They make us say WTF. So Bernier does not like to miss a single day without doing something that gets him into the news cycle, I feel like. And he's just been escalating and escalating by the day, I feel like. This time he went on Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News and talked about his arrest in Manitoba. So for those of you who do not know, Maxime Bernier was arrested last week on a tour uh, for failing to follow public health orders in Manitoba. He's been doing uh, going to anti-lockdown rallies. And this time he was given a warning first and then he failed to comply and listen. And so he was charged under the Public Health Act for assembling in a gathering at an outdoor public place and for failing to self-isolate once he got to Manitoba, according to RCMP. So Maxime Bernier, of course, took the opportunity to turn himself into a victim of this whole situation, despite the defiance of public health orders. And it wasn't just a, 
a subtle defiance. He was blatantly chronicling the whole thing on his Twitter and live tweeting the fact that he was going around to these places in Manitoba and telling people that he got a warning and then live tweeting his own arrest or somebody was live tweeting his arrest. And then there was pictures of him being taken in the back of an RCMP vehicle in handcuffs. And so now poor victim Maxime Bernier was on Tucker Carlson's show to say that he thinks Canada is, quote, turning into an authoritative country, end quote. Alrighty. Alrighty, Mr. Maxime, you want to be a victim so bad. And this is exactly indicative of very many right wing, alt right almost, I would even go so far to say politicians, pundits, people who will do absolutely anything to victimize themselves. This is not an authoritarian country for asking you to follow basic public health guidelines that apply to everyone. You are not above the rules because you are Maxime Bernier, even though your life as a white man has probably taught you otherwise and made you believe that you are above the rules. You are not above the rules, sir. So you can go and cry with Tucker Carlson about your lack of privilege in that moment, but you are arguably one of the most privileged people in Canadian society. So... Miss me with this authoritative country mess. Um, and I just want to end this little rant off with a tweet from at Cult MTL, where they said, Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity think Maxime Bernier should move to America. We couldn't agree more. And honestly, wouldn't miss you, buddy. And the borders are closed, so you wouldn't be able to come back anyways. So try your next tour in America. And the last WTF is about U of T. So there was, since May, uh, an open letter that had been circulating, and, which has also now gathered over 800 signatures from students, faculty, and alumni of U of T calling for immediate action for the institution to address a culture where sexual harassment is reportedly rampant. This letter includes more than 45 stories of alleged sexual harassment at the Faculty of Music, with some dating to the 70s. And one of the calls to action is to review the culture of misogyny, of fear of speaking out against sexual misconduct, as well as systemic power abuses. And so the calls to action, or one of the calls to action, is to have mandatory consent training for faculty, students, staff, which, quote, clarifies appropriate boundaries and procedures for reporting harassment end quote and for me this is really like it's it's not surprising that this still occurs because institutions will protect their own they really have no desire to actually implement change in the way that people you know interact with each other and and, and boundaries and, and and proper professional behavior but it's like the fact that they have to have consent training, for adults is a flabbergastery. I know that's not a word, but that is how I feel because it's like we've, we've had these conversations time and time again. You know, when I entered U of T, I remember the, the hashtag consent is sexy was a thing. The, just the basics of being a human, like a decent human, the basics of not being violent against people. I don't know. And, and here we are, many years after the initial first wave of the Me Too movement, still talking about basic ways that we do not cross boundaries and make 
people uncomfortable. So after this open letter, a U of T spokesperson responded, quote, we have policies and processes in place to address concerns of sexual harassment and violence and to provide support for those who are affected, end quote. Fine, you have policies, you have processes, but actually apply them or acknowledge that there are loopholes in these policies, gray gaps that allow for people to, to interpret them the wrong way or to use them against survivors or people who are speaking out against harassment, assault, because What's the point of having fancy, you know, section, section one, part B, if you're not using it to properly protect people that are attending your institution? I know institutions don't really care about the well-being of individuals and they're really here for their more capitalistic agendas, but at least then just be transparent about it. Don't pretend, don't hide behind your fancy words, your nice flowery words about, oh, we love everybody, we want to protect everyone, we are all family then actually act on it. You don't want to you don't want to act on it because you know then you'll lose all your sponsors, you'll lose all your donors. Don't don't be like we're trying, we have policies. Like we're tired. We already know you don't care about people who are coming forward. And yet they still are. So maybe instead of having these PR statements, change your policies or create better dialogue within your institution for better change. We're, we know you're capable. You just don't want to do it. Get a grip and actually use your diversity, equity, inclusion trainings properly. That's all. Period. And consent is not just sexy. Consent is required. So let's start and end there. And that wraps up this week's WTFs. That was a roundup of some of the stories that you may have missed from across the country and even across the border. Uh, so thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. Stay tuned to Monday's episode for more where that came from. We've got another week full of stories to decomplicate for you. Have a lovely weekend. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Decomplicated. We'll see you on Monday. This episode was produced by Ramit Johal, Carol Eugene Park, that's me, and Brayla Kwan. Decomplicated is a product of Overstory Media Group. That's all for now.